everyone. You're listening to Save Me an Isle Seat, the show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. I'm Katie, and I'm joined by my fellow musical enthusiasts, Amber and Kylie. Hey. hey. Also joining us is our musical newbie, Matt. Good evening. And we're doing a weird thing. We're recording in the same room again. <gasps> we just did that, and that's weird to us. But we are also not giving up the spooky theme because today, our recording day, it's Halloween. Woo! 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 So we're all together because we are going to have a party tonight. It'll be a great time, but this episode won't air until after Halloween, so... Happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving! <laughs> spooky Thanksgiving! <laughs> go, go. Yeah, so it's Halloween, so we are going to do another spooky show because I like spooky stuff. So we are covering Phantom of the Opera, which is a surprise that it's taken us this long to do, but here we are. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes. And today we are going off the 1986 London cast recording, and this is the version that I had grown up with. It will be linked on our Spotify as usual, and on this one I'm also going to add the movie soundtrack because it's also really good as well. And for most people that aren't as familiar with musicals, you might have seen the movie. It's It was pretty popular when it first came out, so I'm going to put them both in our playlist this time. So let's go ahead and jump into some background. The Phantom of the Opera is a musical based on the 1910 French novel of the same name by Gaston Leroux. Andrew Lloyd Webber found a second-hand copy of the original long-out-of-print Leroux novel, which inspired him to write the musical. And he quote, he was quoted saying, I was actually writing something else at the time, and I realized that the reason I was hung up was because I was trying to write a major romantic story, and I had been trying to do that ever since I started my career. Then, with The Phantom, it was there. So it's just one of those, I had writer's block, and now I know why. <laughs> I'm gonna write a romance instead. <laughs> Weber first approached Jim Steinman to write the lyrics due to his dark, obsessive side. I don't know. <laughs> He's crazy. That. Yeah. But he declined due to other contractual obligations. Alan J. Lerner was then recruited, but he was forced to withdraw when he became seriously ill. Richard Stilgo wrote most of the original lyrics for the production, but Charles Hart later rewrote many of the lyrics, but Stilgo's contributions are still present in the final version. Phantom is primarily a sung-through musical, which we uh, have talked about in the past. However, there are scattered lines of spoken dialogue. This is a weird one where you, you can listen to the music and it's just a constant story, but it might not also it also might not be 100% clear. Just because of the way it's sung, you kind of have to know the story going into it. The lyrics are a bit dramatic. They're very dramatic. So Weber's score is sometimes operatic in style, but maintains the form and structure of a musical throughout. The operatic passages are mainly to provide content for the fictional operas that take place within the show itself and reserve for subsidiary characters such as Andre and Furman, Carlotta and Piangi. These pieces are presented as fragments and are often interrupted by dialogue or action sequences to define the show's show-within-a-show format. The musical extracts from the Phantom's opera Don Juan Triumphant are dissonant and modern, suggesting perhaps that the Phantom is ahead of his time artistically, which I think is super interesting. So it was written more in a modern style, which, if you listen to the 1986 version, the characters, when they're practicing it, complain that it doesn't sound good because it's not what they're used to. So, but because it's just... Ahead of its time, at the time. Hmm. Maria Bjornsson designed the set in over 200 costumes, including the elaborate gowns in the masquerade sequence. So she's amazing. Her set designs, including the chandelier, subterranean gondola, and sweeping staircase, earned her multiple awards. And I, I believe most of her designs are still used in the West End productions. So that's super cool. The show was directed by Hal Prince, while Gillian Lynn provided the integral musical staging and choreography. So let's jump into some of the productions because it's been a very long-running show. 
Yeah, so some West End productions. A preview of the first act was staged at Sidmonton. Sidmonton. Sidmonton, which is Weber's home, and that was in 1985. It started Colm Wilkinson as the Phantom, Sarah Brightman as Kristen, later Christine, of course, and Clive Carter as Raoul. This production still used Richard Stogo's original unaltered lyrics and songs sported names that were later changed. The Phantom's original mask actually covered the entire face and remained in place throughout the performance, which, of course, obstructed the actor's vision and muffled his voice. So Maria Bjornsson designed the now-iconic half-mask to replace it, and the unmasking sequence was added. Which, I love that. Right. Like, I never knew that before. That's iconic, so... Yeah, so she, wow. to her. Previews for the final edition began at Her Majesty's Theatre in London's West End on September 27, 1986, under the direction of Hal Prince. It then opened on October 9th. Michael Crawford starred in the title role with Sarah Brightman as Christine and Steve Barton as Raoul. The production celebrated its 10,000th performance, Ooh. which, wow, wow, on October 23rd, 2010, with Andrew Lloyd Webber and the original Phantom, Michael Crawford, in attendance. At the time of its closure, it was the second longest running musical in West End and world history behind Les Mis and third overall behind The Mousetrap. A 25th anniversary stage performance was held in London on October 1st and 2nd in 2011. The Royal Albert Hall and was screened live in cinemas worldwide. This cast, which is a favorite of mine because I love them actually, include Raymond Karimlu as the Phantom, Sierra Bajis as Christine, and Hadley Fraser as Raoul. Several of the original cast members, including Crawford and Brightman, were in attendance as well, along with Weber. In March 2012, a new production, directed by Lawrence Connor, began in the UK and in Ireland. They went on a tour to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the show, beginning at the Theatre Royal Plymouth, and traveled to Manchester, Bristol, Dublin, Leeds, Edinburgh, Milton Keynes, Cardiff, and Southampton. The 30th anniversary was on October 10th of 2016, with a special appearance of the original cast during the curtain call. So they just keep coming back. I mean, wouldn't you? Like, <laughs> uh, that's fair. Hey, you get paid to go see a show you were in? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The production was put on hiatus during March 16th, 2020, because COVID, uh... as everything else we've talked about, in June 2020, it was announced that the show would not reopen in 2020. And it was confirmed that an extended closure would be required to refurbish the sets and the theater. On July 28th, 2020, the production was shut down permanently, but they are determined for it to return to the West End sometime in the future. Weber actually denies the claims of a permanent closure, and it was later confirmed that the show would return in a refurbished theater. He says, so, uh-uh, you're not closing down my most well-earned show. Right. <laughs> so hopefully we get this back someday. Yes. So aside from the West End, it was on Broadway, of course, and Phantom began Broadway previews at the Majestic Theater on January 9th, 1988, and opened on January 26th. Crawford, Brightman, and Barton reprised their respective roles from the West End. The production continues to play at the Majestic, where it became the first Broadway musical in history to surpass 10,000 performances, February 11th, 2012. On January 26, 2013, the production celebrated its 25th anniversary with its 10,000th, 400th performance. Woo! It is, by over 3,500 performances, the longest-running show in Broadway history. The 30th anniversary was on January 26, 2018, with special activities and an extra performance during the week. By April 2019, Phantom had been staged over 13,000 times. As of March 12, 2020, the show suspended production due to COVID. 
course. Womp womp. Womp womp. And the, and the show's production will be suspended until 2021 at the earliest. It was originally scheduled hopefully back on May 2021, but Broadway just announced a couple weeks ago that they were pushing it back to at least June. <sighs> Tis life. Tis shitty COVID life. So as I mentioned in the beginning, the movie is also really popular. So there was a film adaption directed by Joel Schumacher and starring Gerard Butler as The Phantom, Emmy Rosam as Christine, Patrick Wilson as Raoul, Minnie Driver as Carlotta, and Miranda Richardson as Madame Geary. And this opened on December 22nd, 2004 in the United States. Everyone had musical training before the movie, but Gerard Butler was given musical tutoring specifically for this role, which I thought was interesting. Because they, they just really wanted him to be The Phantom, and he does great, I think, mm-hmm. for someone that has had no training. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we like to also... Cover the Las Vegas editions, which, of course, the Phantom had one because it's such a popular show. And this one was called Phantom, the Las Vegas Spectacular. An edited production opened on June 24th, 2006 at the Venetian in Las Vegas, Nevada. The theater was built specifically for the show to resemble the opera Garnier in Paris. Wow. The production ran only 95 minutes with no intermission. It featured updated technology and effects, including a re-engineered chandelier capable of reassembling in mid-air during the overture. Super cool. Want to see that? Yeah. Well, the production closed on September second, twenty twelve. Never mind. (laughs) I wonder if there's like video of it somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there is. I mean, it's Vegas. So of course, with the show being as you know long-standing of a show as it is, it's won a lot of awards. And so the original London production got the Evening Standard Theatre Award in 1986 and won Best Musical. Uh, won a Laurence Olivier Award in 1986 as well. It won Best New Musical and Best Actor in a Musical for Michael Crawford. Two, there was another Laurence Olivier Award. It won Most Popular Show. And in 2016, it won another Laurence Olivier Award. It won the Magic Radio Audience Award. I That's don't know weird. what that is. That sounds fake. Yeah, it I don't does, know what that is. But, but they won it. Sure, good job. And then, of course, the original Broadway production... In 1998, it won several Drama Desk Awards. So Michael Crawford won Outstanding Actor in a Musical, Outstanding Director of a Musical, it won Outstanding Music, Outstanding Orchestrations, Outstanding Set Design, Outstanding Costume Design, <laughs> Outstanding Lighting Design, which just, wow. There's a lot of um, outstanding. They're outstanding. They're I'm not standard. done. And then, also in 1988, it won several Tony Awards, because why yeah. not? So they won Best Musical. Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical for Michael Crawford. Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Musical, Judy Kay. Best Direction of a Musical. Best Scenic Design. Best Costume Design. And Best Lighting Design. Neat. Yes, and I'm still not done because also in 1988, the Outer Critics Circle Award, they won Best Broadway Musical. Michael Crawford once again won Best Actor in a Musical. They won Best Set Design, Best Costume Design, and Best Lighting Design. Okay. <sighs> Did you guys hear about that scarecrow that got a promotion? He was outstanding in his field. Just like this show! You're definitely fired for that one. I've got to get out of here. Ugh. Okay. Can I be fired? No. You're stuck here. Oh, does it mean I get to leave? No. You're also stuck here. But, uh, you but you're not here. paying me anymore. You live here. None of us are getting paid to be here. Right. Come on. So with that background out of the way and all those awards stumbled through, Great jokes. Well, jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump into our show, everybody. Whoop, whoop. So this one actually has a little bit of a prologue. 
and we are introduced to a 1905 Paris where the Opera Populaire hosts an auction of old theatrical memorabilia. In attendance is the elderly Vicomte Raoul, who purchases a paper mache music box with a monkey figurine. He sings about it being exactly as she described it. The auctioneer then presents a shattered chandelier that has been renovated with electrical wiring. He alludes to a connection with the strange affair of the Phantom of, of the Opera, a mystery never fully explained. As the fixture is revealed, it flickers to life and ascends to the ceiling in the song Overture, and this throws us into the past, and is by far one of the best openings Ugh. of any musical ever. So powerful. Cannot compete. I'm sorry, every other show. This just has the most powerful opening ever. So I haven't seen the actual like production, but when we watched the movie, it was a really cool shot, because like, as the chandelier's going up, the old dusty seats slowly transition <laughs> into like the pristine... Nice of, like, current theater stuff. So it was really cool. It, it, it was super cool. I mean, the music's just, like, smacks you in the face. With the organ. Yeah, as soon as it starts moving. So then we're officially in Act 1. It is now 1881, and the cast of a new production, Hannibal, are rehearsing on stage. They learn that the new owners, Furman and Andre, are taking over the opera Populaire in the song Hannibal Rehearsal. Carlotta, the opera's resident soprano prima donna, begins to perform an aria for them when a backdrop inexplicably falls, barely missing her. Could have crushed her to death, but oops. The chorus girls anxiously whisper, he's here, the Phantom of the Opera, and all whispering and superstition and all this stuff. The managers try to downplay the accident, but Carlotta angrily informs them that these things have been happening for three years now, and she storms out, quitting the show. No, you've got to fix this or I'm not coming back. Madame Geary, the opera's ballet mistress, and her dancer daughter Meg inform Furman and Andre that Christine Daae, a chorus girl and orphan daughter of a prominent violinist, has been taught to sing and she can sing Carlotta's role. The show is a sold-out performance, so the managers don't have much of a choice, even though they don't expect much of a chorus girl. Which, rude, but alright. They audition her and find out she's actually really good and cast her in the role. Again, they really don't have a choice, but she's actually pretty good. As she sings during the evening performance, the opera's new patron, Raoul, recognizes her as his childhood friend and playmate in the song Think of Me. After a successful debut, Christine confesses to her friend Meg that her singing has been inspired by an unseen tutor she only knows as the Angel of Music in the song Angel of Music. Wow. It's so just this voice in my head. Yay. So Raoul visits Christine in her dressing room and the two reminisce about Angel of Music stories her late father used to tell her. She confides that the angel has visited her and taught her to sing in the song Little Lottie. Raul assumes that these are just fantasies and dreams, and so he insists on taking Christine to dinner. When Raul leaves to get his hat, Christine hears the angel's jealous voice and asks him to reveal himself. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, of course, the phantom appears as a ghostly, partially masked face in her mirror in the song The Mirror Angel of Music Reprise. Christine believes the Phantom to be the angel of music sent to her by her father. So, of course, her pa father passed years ago when he promised her that he was going to send her, I guess, angel of music to take care of her. And so she believes that it's sent by him, and that's why she trusts it. So she's drawn into the mirror to follow the Phantom, and he leads her down into this shadowy sewers below the opera house. Which, I mean, at that point, I'd be like, no. But, <laughs> like I said, she trusts it, so it is what it is. They board a small, creepy boat with, like, skulls all over it. And cross the subterranean lake to his secret lair in the song of the Phantom of the Opera. Listen, he's got an aesthetic. He's got an aesthetic. He's sticking and he's to sticking it. to it. 
He sticks to his guns. Lots of candles, lots of skulls. It works for him. <laughs> and the song is also super good. I mean, the song's also, like, classic. So. He likes to wear tight leather pants. And a cape. And a cape. Then he likes to swish around. He swishes his cape around to seduce her, so... Yeah, that, that works for everybody. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Duh. Duh. <laughs> We're not talking little sachets. It's full, full body. Yeah, full swooshing. Nothing hold back. So the Phantom explains that he has chosen Christine to give life to his musical compositions. He shows her an image of her in a wedding dress, and she faints from shock. Which, I mean, I would too. Let's be real. That's a little creepy. Yikes. And so the Phantom kind of picks her up and covers her with his cloak and lays her on his bed in the song The Music of the Night. The next morning, the Phantom is composing music at his organ, and Christine awakens to the sound of his monkey music box in the song I Remember. Overcome with curiosity, she slips behind the phantom and lifts it off his mask, Rude. revealing his grotesquely disfigured face. Ah! Ah! So, of course, he screams at her for her prying gesture, and she runs in fear. And so the phantom, like, basically just expresses his longing to be loved, which, fair, but, but, also, but also he does it in a like, really mean way. And so the song is Stranger Than You Dreamt It, and moved by pity, Christine returns to him, and he escorts her back above ground. Meanwhile, Joseph Bouquet, the opera's chief stagehand, tells the chorus girls tales of the opera ghost and his terrible Punjab lass, a reference directly from the novel, let's be clear here, and Madame Giri arrives and warns him to exercise restraint or face the phantom's wrath in magical lasso. In the manager's office, Andre and Furman read notes from the phantom. They are interrupted by Raoul, who accuses them of sending him a note that tells him to stay away from Christine. Carlotta and Pianji burst in, demanding to know who sent Carlotta a note warning her that her days of the opera populaire are numbered. <gasps> so everyone's getting notes and no one knows who they're from. As Andre and Furman try to calm Carlotta, Madame Giri arrives with another note from the Phantom. He demands that Christine replace Carlotta as the Countess in the new opera, Il Mudo, and that Box 5 be kept empty for him. And the managers are warned that they will face a disaster beyond imagination if these demands are not met. In the song notes, Furman and Andre assure the furious Carlotta that she will remain their star. Christine will play the page boy, a silent role. And they fawn over Carlotta, buttering her up to stay. In the song Prima Donna, which let her let her leave. She yeah, doesn't really need the ego stroking, but she gets it anyway. Yeah, she fusses and fusses. It's a word for it. Yeah, it's one. The premiere of El Mudo initially goes well until the voice of the Phantom suddenly cuts through the performance, enraged that Box 5 was not kept empty for him as he had directed. As Christine whispers that she knows the Phantom is near, Carlotta reminds her that her role is silent, calling her a little toad. She's a big ol' b-word. The Phantom states that it is Carlotta who is the toad and enchants the diva's voice, reducing it to a frog-like croak. So in the, in the movie they make it make a little more sense by giving her a like, throat spray that messes with her voice. And, and the show is just like, oh, shaboof! He actually just Frog. does magic. Yeah, yes. Herman rushes to defuse the, the situation by announcing to the audience that Christine will take over the starring role, and he instructs the conductor to bring the ballet forward to keep the audience entertained. So this poor guy has to bring forth the ballet that's in Act 3, and all the actors have to rush to fix everything to kind of delay everything. Suddenly, the corpse of... Joseph Bouquet drops from the rafters, hanging from the Punjab lasso. Ah! Ah! Lots of screaming. Oh, God. Furman and Andre plead for calm as mayhem erupts and the phantom's sinister laugh is heard throughout the auditorium. In the song Poor Fool, He Makes Me Laugh. 
In the ensuing chaos after Ilmudo, Christine escapes with Raoul to the roof and tells him about her subterranean encounter with the Phantom in the song Why Have You Brought Me Here slash Raoul I've Been There. Raoul is skeptical but promises to love and protect her and Christine reciprocates in his vow in the song All I Ask of You. Christine and Raoul go back inside unaware that the Phantom has overheard their entire conversation because he just kind of hangs out everywhere. Mm. The heartbroken Phantom angrily vows revenge before returning to the auditorium and crashing the chandelier onto the stage during the curtain call in the song All I Ask of You reprise, which a lot of the other shows move it. They put it more as like the, like the climax of the show and not at the intermission, but it's a neat closer. Mm-hmm. So that leads us into our intermission. <laughs> what do we think about Act 1, everybody? He crazy. Oh, he crazy. He nuts. Yes. And I'm so worried about Christine. Like, this poor girl. Just, she just don't know. She don't. I mean, she was brought up in this world. This, yeah, this opera house. And just she's been kind of isolated, I think. Like, even when she's surrounded by other ballet people or whatever, like, she still just feels very alone. And that's sad and all. But also a creepy voice. Followed a man into a sewer. Mm. But I think she thinks he's an angel. It doesn't, know. like, from watching the movie, it doesn't transition that well. Because he's significantly older than her and has watched her grow up from, like, what? Childhood. Yeah, like six or, or something? Six or seven? Yeah. So it's, like, extra creepy with yep. those contexts. Yeah. yeah. So in the in the show, in the actual show, I don't think it's that big of a, a gap there. I don't know officially, but... The movie definitely makes it real creepy. Their ages are way off in the movie. Yes. So. Yeah. But the actual show is really good. I, I guess I, I will stop and talk about my experience with Phantom so I can kind of give context. So uh, we all just watched the movie. Kylie, for the first time, the rest of us have seen it at least uh, once or twice before. It's really good. And I have seen the show at the Fox Theater here in St. Louis twice. I saw it once when I was a kid. And then I saw it a second time. I think it was 2014, I want to say. And it was a brand new production. It had a whole new cast. It was all Italian actors, if I remember correctly. And they like updated the set design, and it was really, really cool. They had all the sets as like a piece of cake, and the, the center cylinder would rotate, depending on what scene it was. So they didn't have to waste an entire scene on like an office. So it would just like rotate. And then when the stairs scene where they're going to the sewers, the stairs would just keep rotating so it looked like they were constantly descending and stuff like that. It was really, really cool. I loved it. And it's just one of the best shows. I think everyone should go see it. And obviously you should have the chance because it's never going anywhere. Aside from COVID. Yeah. So we will definitely have to see it if it comes back to the Fox. Uh, for sure. Has anyone else seen this one? Or it's just me? Yeah, no, I've never seen a live performance. I was just familiar with the movie and like obviously knowledge of soundtracks and stuff. So yep. it's definitely like one that's on my to watch list because it's so big and so popular and just such a fantastic show, honestly. Yeah, it's beautiful visually too. Oh yeah. Like yeah. it's a little creepy, but like it, I don't know, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, if you like organs, this show. not the like internal. And not the internal kind. The, the instrument, this is your show. Yeah. It's your jam. Yeah, it's just, it's a really beautiful show. So there's no wonder it's as big as it is. But if you're not familiar with it, and you're into theater, you definitely should be. Yeah, like, what? how how would you not? Come on, listen to this. If you're worried about the stigma of the word opera being attached to it... That's fair. The operatic style of singing is only in it, like, a little bit, and it's mostly, yeah, the the show-within-a-show kind of story. Because, yeah, when I initially heard it, I'm like, man, I don't want to hear people, like, 
high-pitched screaming, and I can barely understand it for an entire thing. But no, it's 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 very nice. Yeah, it is. It is still falls into the musical category, like we said in the the background information there. So it it is very good. And if you listen to the 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 nineteen eighty six version, it's it's like it was separated on two discs. That's how long it was. I believe it comes out to be an hour and forty minutes, something like that. But definitely well worth the listen for sure. But if you fair warning, if you listen to the nineteen 19- 86 recording on our Spotify. There's a lot more screaming in it because it's like a direct recording. From so, like the show. So like, yeah, anytime someone dies, the screaming's in there. And I think at the end of Music of the Night, he plays the organ very angrily, aggressively so. Be prepared, headphone users. Yeah, rip headphone users. This is not a show to listen on full blast. <laughs> it, it switches styles very often. It's very well, well done. I believe this is probably one of Andrew Lloyd Webber's best shows, in my opinion. Kylie, what do you think about Act 1? I enjoyed it. I like the music. Okay. I think it's creepy. <laughs> the Phantom. Yes. Just watching her. Watching the movie, Raul's face, to me, looks very similar to the bad guy in Frozen. Oh. Hans? Um, a little bit. A little bit? Yeah. Like, it just Hans with longer hair. Mm-hmm. But, so I keep expecting him to be, like, a douche. But no, he's just a good guy. He's a good guy, yeah. He loves her. And like actually has reasons for liking her besides, ah, she's beautiful and I want her. It's like, oh no, like I actually- We were friends. I know you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a a good, it's a good love story in that regard. (laughs) Yeah. We ready to jump into our theater fact? Teach us thing. It's a long one. Good luck. Hey. This theater fact comes directly from theclassicalmusic.com and will be linked in the show notes. An opera is primarily sung, whereas in a musical, the songs are interspersed with passages of dialogue. In both instances, it is drama and words that drive the action. Both operas and musicals use librettos, i.e. texts, as their basis, but in the case of the opera, the singing tends to be continuous, whereas in musicals, much of the plot is unraveled through the spoken scenes around the individual songs. There can often be bigger dancing numbers in musicals. In opera, the singing is split between arias, recitatives, and bigger chorus numbers. An aria is a solo vocal piece in which the character will express personal emotions. They tend to be more famous, memorable tunes in an oratorio. A recitative, on the other hand, is sung in in speech rhythms and is used as more of a storytelling technique. In opera, music is at the forefront, whereas in musical theater, the words are the key to the plot development. This is why audiences have been watching and listening to operas in foreign languages for so many years. An understanding of the specific language is often seen as a secondary to the music itself. Some musicals are closer in style to operas than others. Stephen Stonheim's Sweeney Todd is one such musical that is often categorized as an opera because of its focus on the libretto and its limited speech. Voice types in opera are often different to those in musical theater, using much more vibrato. This is because of the long history of the form which was performed before microphones were created, so opera singers had to project over the orchestra without amplification. Musical theater is a newer art form, so its singers are often given microphones to help them be heard over a loud band or orchestra. Yeah, so Matt had brought this up when we were watching it, and he doesn't doesn't really understand the form of opera singing, which is fair. It's, you know, high and screechy and a lot of vibrato, but that's because it was a necessity to reach, to just project over a large area before we had all the technology. So it's it's a, a neat art form, 
and a very hard to learn art form, and it's just not used as much. Yeah, no, I, I understand like the art yeah. and like the, the amount of work they have to do to get their voices to be able to consistently perform that every night. My it's ears. insane. It's just definitely not for me because I worked at a movie theater, so we would play operas during like the weekdays. So we would always have you know about 15, 20, like, ancient old people come in <laughs> to go come watch it. And, yeah, just just listen to them. I just did not get it. Musicals are, are fine, I understand. They got catchy songs, and you can... Nope, nobody's creating a uh, Spotify opera playlist to listen on road trips. <laughs> no, no, not usually. <laughs> not usually. So, yeah, I thought that was a, a, a fitting fact for this one, so no one gets confused about why this one is still labeled a musical, even though it's called The Family of the Opera. You know? We yeah. do, however, at some point, have an opera we are going to cover. Yes, but not today. Yes. So secret. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and hang some people into Act 2. Cape flip our way. <laughs> Dramatically enter Act 2. There you go. Dun 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 dun. Organ you have to listen to understand. Yes. He's got the best intro music. He the does. Phantom, anytime he enters a scene, so banger. Banger. True. He knows how to make an entrance. Yes. <laughs> so six months later, the Opera House hosts a masquerade ball. We learn that Christine and Raul are engaged, but are keeping it a secret. Christine doesn't want the Phantom to find out, even though Raul still doesn't believe he exists. Which, okay. The managers are delighted at the party and the Phantom's lack of attendance. Of course, they've had, finally had six months of relief. The Phantom, who has been conspicuously absent since the Chandelier disaster, suddenly reappears in costume as the Red Death. He announces that he has written an opera entitled Don Juan Triumphant during his absence and demands that it be produced with Christine in the lead role and he warns of dire consequences if his demands are not met. Noticing an engagement ring on a chain around Christine's neck, the Phantom angrily pulls it from her and vanishes in a blinding flash of light. And the song is Masquerade slash Why So Silent. I really like the, the Masquerade song. It's very fun. I really like the Masquerade song and that dramatic switch to when the, the Phantom enters and it's like suddenly dark and everyone's like, ah, uh, the suspense. I really like that switch there. As the masquerade attendees scatter in fear, Raoul accosts Madame Giri and demands that she reveal what she knows about the Phantom. Madame Giri reluctantly explains that the Phantom is actually a brilliant scholar, magician, architect, inventor, and composer who was born with a terrifyingly deformed face and was ostracized for it. Feared and reviled by society, he was cruelly exhibited in a cage as part of a traveling fair until he eventually escaped and disappeared. He subsequently took refuge beneath the opera house, which has now become his home. The opera managers, believing they have no choice, reluctantly plan to produce the Phantom's opera. Before rehearsals begin, Raoul plots to use the premiere of Don Juan Triumphant as a trap to capture the Phantom and put an end to his reign of terror. Carlotta falsely accuses Christine of being the mastermind, suggesting that it is all a ploy to make her the star, where Christine angrily defends herself, obviously, explaining that she is his victim just like everyone else. Raoul, knowing of the Phantom's obsession with his fiancée, asserts that the Phantom will attend the opera's premiere and begs a reluctant Christine to help lure the Phantom into the trap, but she refuses. And the song is notes slash twisted every way. During rehearsal, Pianji is unable to sing his part in the new opera, causing frustration and chaos for everyone. The piano suddenly begins to play the piece by itself, having been possessed by the Phantom, you know, magic, whatever, and the entire company immediately sings the proper notes in unison. Dun, dun, dun. 
So he actually has magic in this version. He's a wizard. So, torn between her love for Raoul and her awe of the Phantom, Christine visits her father's grave, longing for his guidance. In the song, Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again. The Phantom, of course, because he stalks her, appears atop the mausoleum, again under the guise of the Angel of Music. In the song, Wandering Child, a weary Christine begins to succumb to the Phantom's influence, but Raoul arrives to rescue her. The Phantom taunts Raoul, hurling fireballs at him, until... Christine begs Raoul to leave with her. That wasn't in the movie. What? <laughs> yeah. Throws fireballs. Magic. Wow. He's a magician. He is a wizard. Um, He's been playing D&D. <laughs> He's a fire mage. Yeah, he is. Let's be clear that in the movie, they just sword fight. Um, yeah, they make it more realistic in the movie. But, uh, you know, magic. Yep. So, of course, he's furious, and the Phantom declares war upon them both and causes flames to spring up around the mausoleum. Bravo, monsieur. With armed policemen having secured the auditorium and watching for the Phantom, Don Juan Triumphant premieres with Christine and Pianji singing the lead roles. During Don Juan's and uh, Amita's duet, Christine comes to the sudden realization that the Phantom has somehow replaced Pianji in the song Don Juan Triumphant slash The Point of No Return. And so they've reached the point of no return as Which he is sings. Super sexual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> There's some, uh, some, some capage. <laughs> Not the capage. <laughs> Not the seducing cape, no! Can't resist. (laughs) Mimicking Raoul's vow of devotion on the rooftop, the Phantom once again expresses his love for Christine and forces his ring on her finger. We're married now! Christine rips off his mask, showing off his horrifically deformed face to the shocked audience. I'm not sure how it is on the stage production, but in the movie, like, his hair goes from black to white and he just looks terrible and... Ah! Ah! Oh my gosh! It really, it just looks like he's got, like, a burn mark on his face. Like, yeah. across one yeah. side of his face. I mean, it's, from back then, it was a big deal. Yeah, it's not like he's got, like, you know, he's not like Two-Face. Mm-mm. Exposed, the Phantom hurriedly drags Christine off the stage and back to his lair. Pianji's garroted body is revealed backstage, and the opera house plunges into chaos. Garroted, he, he was strangled. That's what that means. With a garrot wire. Yeah, yes. a garrot wire. Not, not, not everyone knows that. Fair enough. Fun not back. everyone knows how... People get murdered, Katie. Sure. I, well. <laughs> <laughs> so in angry mob forms, of course, as, you know, I mean, about angry time, mobs do. Greatly. Uh, and they vow vengeance for the murders of Bouquet and Pianji, and they search for the Phantom. Madame Giri tells Raoul how to find the Phantom's subterranean lair and warns him to beware the magical lasso and to keep his hand at the level of his eyes. And the song is down once more slash track down the murderer. I never quite understood the whole, like, hand at the level of... So you can't get caught in an invisible noose. So Oh, so you, okay. So if you, you if it starts to go in your neck, you can grab it and have, like... Okay. Because the whole yep. thing was, like, he says traps throughout his place, and you, can, you, can, you can't really, like, see the lassos in the darkness. Yeah, I don't think that, that part transitioned well just... into the movie, because it was just yeah. kind of, like, briefly mentioned. And then, like, he's like, okay, hand above... At the level of my eye, got it. And then proceeds to, like, not do it and immediately falls into a trap. Down in the lair, the Phantom has compelled Christine to don a wedding dress. So in a in a moment of epiphany, she explains that she is not fearful of the Phantom's physical appearance, but rather his inner nature, which, fair. Fair, I mean, because he's just rude murdering and people. creepy. Yeah, and stalkerish. Like, get out of here, man. Raoul reaches the lair and attempts to persuade the Phantom to spare Christine and begs him for compassion. The Phantom retorts that the world has never shown him any and ensnares Raoul in the Punjab lasso. He's like, nah, the world treated me bad, so screw you. Magic water lasso. 
The Phantom offers Christine an ultimatum. If she will stay with him, he will spare Raoul. But if she refuses, Raoul will die. And the song is The Point of No Return, Reprise. As the Phantom and Raoul both vie for Christine, she sadly asks the Phantom what life he has been forced to live. And finally, she tells the Phantom that he is not alone and kisses him, showing him compassion for the first time in his life. Bom bom bom, smooches. Having experienced kindness at last, the Phantom realizes that he cannot win Christine by force and frees Raoul. The Phantom makes them swear to never tell and yells for them to leave before collapsing in tears. Raoul hurries Christine out of the lair, but she returns alone to give the Phantom back his ring. I, I, don't, I don't like you, here's this back. The Phantom finally tells Christine that he loves her, and she tearfully exits the lair to rejoin Raoul. It's very sad. As the angry search mob closes in, the devastated Phantom huddles on his throne beneath his cloak. Meg, Christine's best friend if you remember, she hasn't been around in a minute, Meg is first to reach the lair and finds no one there. She approaches the throne with curiosity and quickly pulls away the phantom's cloak, but finds only his mask. Bum, bum, bum. She lifts the mask up into the light and gazes at it in wonder as the curtain falls. And the song is Finale. Bum, bum, bum. So where did he go? Ah! Away! Away. So yeah, so that was uh, the show, you guys. What do you think as a whole? Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Ba, 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 ba. It was good. Yeah, when you first had me watch this, this is when you were kind of first introducing me to like musicals and stuff, and I was like, man, this is going to be boring. And no, it was very entertaining all the way through. Yeah, the movie, I think it's two and a half hours, and it doesn't feel like it, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it's just a constant action story, you know? Like, it, it is a love story at its core, technically, you know, in both aspects for The Phantom and Raoul for Christine. But it still has a lot of action and a lot of drama, and it just keeps your attention going. And again, the music is just really good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Classic music. It's very, very classic theater. Yeah, and I definitely really like the way that the movie goes back and forth in time a little bit more than, I guess, the stage production does. Yeah. Because the stage production just says it at the beginning, but there's a few spots in the movie where it like, kind of drifts back into the current day and then back to the past again. And it, I don't know, it just really like cements it that, like, I mean, it's not, like, real, actual real, but, like, yeah. for these characters, like, this was a real thing that happened, and they're traumatized by this, and, like, yeah, this yep. dude. It was weird, and it happened, and it, it, like, still affects current day for them. Yeah. And I think that just makes it, like, hit harder. Can't get rid of the memories. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Wow. I need some more from you. <laughs> I need to speak wow. words. Such, such detail. <laughs> I mean, this I is your first time you. seeing it, so, yeah. I really enjoyed the movie. Okay. Yep. Because that's all I have on this <laughs> musical is that movie. Well, it's, it's a good one to have, at least. So. Yeah. I like the flashbacks. Kind of like the character development, I guess, in a way. Yeah. It's, so I it, thought that helped. It's a weird character development, but yeah. There's development. Yeah. It's one of those, like, quick change developments for the Phantom, at least. But at least he sort of kind of changed, changed a little bit. I mean, you know, it only took a couple murders. Yeah, you know. It's, like, very sad, and, you know, he was mistreated, and that's why he's the way he is, but he does have still, like, human compassion in him and all that stuff, so you're supposed to feel sorry for him. But he did just kill a couple people, and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unapologetically, just kill people. You get to die, and you get to die, and you get to die. Not just, like, yeah, not just, like, self-defense people, like, kill. just kind of murdered. You get traumatized. Yay. But because she was nice to him. Gotta hit that. Gross. Yeah. Gross. This is definitely like 
It's easy to critique the show. That's fair. Yeah. It's got some creepiness to it, but it's also a classic, so... Yeah, and the music. I'm just going back to the music. It's just so good. Yeah. And compared to some of the other creepy stories we've covered, this is actually pretty tame. That's fair. It's not that creepy. Compared to Seven Brides of Seven Brothers, this one's yep. pretty good. Yep. <laughs> Even considering. <laughs> right. Well, and like Katie pointed out to us earlier, when you look at this one and we look at other shows that he has produced, like a... uh Our cast. Very big difference here. So... This has a story. Points to Weber for this one, because... And yes. a good movie. And a good movie. We're not going to go back into Cats. Go listen to our episode on Cats if you really want to know our Yeah, no. I just want to point out that he can clearly do good things. He can clearly do very good things. This is a very clear sign of the genius that he can reach. Yes. And I will never I will never doubt his talents because of this show. Yes. It's fantastic. And obviously it's had over combined between us and the UK, what was that, 23,000 performances yeah. at the minimum? That is amazing. And that's just on, like... The high-end theaters. I think they released the rights to a smaller version of the show finally in 2011, I want to say. So high schools can put parts of it on, which is super huge. So this show is going to exist forever. So yeah, so this is this show. And before we wrap up, I wanted to give a little bonus information because this is the first show we're recovering that has an official sequel. (gasps) Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. It mm. does. <laughs> I'm knowing nothing about it. I'm going to go with they probably couldn't capture probably lightning in a bottle twice. <laughs> and I have not seen it. They released a live recording of this one at the beginning of COVID, and I just happened to miss it. Unfortunately, it was on YouTube for a while. But yeah, so this is this. So there was a sequel, and it was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber still, and also Ben Elton, Frederick Forsyth, and Glenn Slater, and it was called Love Never Dies. It was loosely adapted from the 1999 novel The Phantom of Manhattan, which was written by Frederick Forsyth. It is set in 1907, a decade after the conclusion of Phantom according to, to the production's announcement, but actually 26 years later as the original show was set in 1881. So it's a really weird time skip there. So we learn that Christine is still involved, so Christine is invited to perform at Phantasma, a new attraction at Coney Island by an anonymous impresario. With her husband Raul and son Gustave in tow, she journeys to Brooklyn, unaware that it is the Phantom who has arranged her appearance at the popular beach resort. So, so far, it's it's so far from the first yeah. one. Like, it's so confusing already. <laughs> the production opened at the Adelphi Theater in the West End on March 9th, 2010. Though it ran for over 17 months and closed on August 27th, 2011, it received mixed reviews. For, I mean, with just that amount of information, you can probably tell why. A scheduled Broadway opening in November 2010 was postponed until spring 2011 and then later canceled. A revamped Australian production opened on May 21, 2011 at the Regent Theatre in Melbourne to more favorable notices. After the run ended on December 12, 2011, the production moved to the Capitol Theatre in Sydney where it played from January to April 2012. Now you know that information and you, we might cover this one. I don't know officially. Mm, it might be a map. Doesn't sound like a good time. It doesn't sound like a good time. But it exists, so if you want to know more about the Phantom and what those characters got up to after the fact, there's a sequel. So go listen to it, because we haven't. So, But I believe that will wrap up this special Halloween edition of Save Me an Isle Seed. It won't be Halloween again when you listen to this, but it is for us, so yay spooks. Spooky! Spooky Halloween! Woo! So yeah, if you want to reach out to us about this show, or if you've seen the sequel and want to talk to us about it, that's up to you. Or the Las Vegas show. Or the Las Vegas show. Yeah, tell us how the Las Vegas show went. You Did it have us... a splash soon? Yes or no? 
chandelier zone. I think uh, well, yeah, I would have had a crash a zone for that chandelier. Zone. So you can reach out to us at savemeanisleseat at gmail.com. You can also reach out there if you have other shows that you want us to cover, which we will put into our queue and cover eventually. So just reach out and yeah, just let us know if you have anything in mind. Or you can tweet us, mostly Amber, at saveanisleseat on Twitter. All the hashtags, all the memes, please send them her way. Yeah. Maximum character usage. Maximum, maximum character usage. So that would be really cool of you. We do also still have our Ko-Fi open, which is www.ko-fi.com slash ragtag network and that helps provide financial support for all of the shows on our network which includes this one of course as well as a D&D podcast that Matt and I are a part of which is called Total Tomfoolery. It's dumb! It's dumb but it just started its second season so go check that out. We also now have another show called Bag of Bones on there which is written, researched, and produced by my mom, Elizabeth Bougeret. We've talked about her on the show before, so she is really enjoying that. She also just put out her Halloween episode, which aired this past week. And so go check that out, Spooky Campfire Stories, uh, this past week. So we appreciate any and all support for us and for the fellow shows on our network. If you want to just check out more of those shows, that is on our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. So you can just check out and see what we've got going on there, and any future announcements will be on there as well. If you want to help us, the show out the best, the best way to do that is by word of mouth. So, you know, tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, you know, shout it from the treetops. So, yeah, so word of mouth is the best way to get podcasts out and uh, mentioned around us. So we are still over 700 downloads, which is still super exciting to me. We're closing in on 800, I believe. Uh, fingers crossed for that soon. And again, when we hit the 1,000 download mark, we will do a special thing that only I know about. So if I do something different, no one will know. <laughs> But I believe that will wrap up our episode this week. And so we're going to go enjoy our Halloween. I hope you all have a safe Halloween as well. And if you want to tell us about it, do that too. Because we like Halloween a lot. Mostly me, but us. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that'll wrap up this one, you guys. We will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Dramatic cape flip exit. <laughs>